0: Welcome to the Guiding Compass Podcast. My name is Sandra Kushner, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I started this podcast to help bring awareness and education about different topics relating to mental health. Today, I have Jay Clayton on my show. She is a licensed clinical social worker, and she practices in San Diego, California. And we are going to be talking all about attachment styles, which are so important If you're in the field, you know how fundamental attachment is to our well-being, how we show up in relationships, how we view the world, and so I'm really excited to talk about this because it really transcends into all aspects of our lives, especially our relationships with others. So, Jay, thank you so much for joining us today on The Guiding Compass.
1: Hi, how are you guys doing? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you having me on your podcast.
0: Yeah, of course. So before we get started, I usually ask my guests just to share a little bit about how they got into the work that they do and what made you passionate about doing therapy, becoming a therapist, going into this field.
1: Um, so I really was motivated by some of the things that I saw um, growing up and kind of like connecting to people and different diverse populations and having that connection with others, and really wanting to bring it all together and helping others. And of course, I saw a lot of different things within my family dynamics. So I really focus a lot in connecting my clients and everyday life to attachment theory. So that's what um, I pretty much focus a lot of my um, therapy from, that um, school of thought, that theoretical perspective. So I was extremely excited to kind of talk about that a
0: little bit today. Yeah. And that's what I think a lot of people kind of go through their own personal experiences. And I think in this profession, you understand so much more about the world and your own family dynamics. And it's just so fascinating. So it's really cool that you, you know, use your experiences to kind of shape how you work with clients and really coming back to attachment theory in your work. So um, I'm going to let you go ahead and take it away and tell us a little bit about attachment theory for those listeners that may not have heard of it or maybe unfamiliar.
1: Okay, great. So um, I always like to think of attachment as the infant's caregiver response. And I'm sure you know, in school, we were looking at videos during that time when the caregiver would walk away um, out of the room and um, you kind of... The, what they did back in the day, um, it was actually psychologist Bowlby. He studied the reaction of infants when the caregiver left the room. So that separation that was felt when um, the infant um, saw their caregiver leave the room. So honing in a little bit more in detail of that, he kind of realized there was a lot of different behaviors that um, an infant would respond to, such as crying or searching for their caregiver, but he also found that there were like a distinctive four different, no, I'm sorry, three different main responses that um, the study revealed, and with that, he saw a secure infant, an anxious, resistant, and avoidance. and um, we also kind of relied heavily on it attachment figures in our lives. And when we have that and when we don't have that, we kind of felt like eager to have this connection to someone um, as an infant. And it played a a strong significant role within our um, relationships growing up. So, um, I wanted to go into detail a little bit more of what a caregiver kind of attachment figure would be. And that's like someone who provides the support and protection of an infant kind of growing up and in many situations that doesn't necessarily have to be like a mom or dad but that can be like a babysitter a teacher someone that really gives that caregiving um response and support to an infant or child growing up kind of like that nurturing kind of peace. you know that safe haven even um, so that's more of like an attachment figure or caregiver and then you want to go a little bit into like the secure relationship style of attachment kind of came from when the infant responded to their caregiver leaving the room. And when searching for the caregiver and the caregiver came back in the room, the infant was calm and easily soothed and consoled by the caregiver. Mm -hmm. And they continued playing together. And you can see that trust and that bond not much disruption between the connection between the caregiver and infant. There was a little, you know, uneasiness when the caregiver left the room, but it was easily fulfilled when returning to the room. And the, the kid, I'm sorry, the infant knew in some way, knew, um, felt secure in the caregiver coming back. It's kind of mm-hmm. like the consistency, you know what I mean, Sandra? Yeah. When that reliability of that caregiver returning.
0: Right. So securely attached children are basically feeling safe in the world. They feel like the parent has their back, that it's safe to explore, that it's okay to kind of go out there and play. And even when the mom steps out of the room, they do get upset and dysregulated. But when she comes back, they're able to be soothed and calmed down because they have a secure bond with her. And there's a trust in the relationship is
1: is essentially what you're saying. Is that right? Definitely, definitely. That trust and that bond is extremely important. Mm -hmm. And I also forgot to mention, um, Mary Answorth was another student of um, Bulby who studied under him, who dove a little deeper into these attachment styles. I did want to mention her. If anyone listening cared to, you know, dig up details and articles about these two Mm -hmm. attachment. Um, Going now into anxious, excuse me, resistant, or ambivalent. Um, So in this attachment style, the infant, upon separating from the caregiver, when the caregiver leaves the room, they become really, really distressed. And when reunited with the caregiver, so when the caregiver returns, you kind of see this reaction to the infant kind of expressing behaviors of questioning, you know, they're, they're not, they're not sure if the caregiver is going to leave or not. So they kind of have this they, they allow the caregiver to comfort them and console them, but they also react in this push away, like a punishment like like i I want you to hold me, but i they kind of turn their head away because they're upset they they're not too sure it's kind of like a confused state so um we see this in the studies as kids just being really inconsistent with their um caregiving, you know unreliable um not really understanding or knowing if their caregiver is going to come back. And at times that can be seen if an infant is used to their mom appearing at a certain time. And if their mom doesn't, you know, that can cause like an, that can cause an anxious, ambivalent um, infant to have these symptoms and um, again, have this attachment style. But again, they are—they do want to be comforted by a caregiver. They just have this reaction to where it comfort me, but at the same time, I want to punish you or I want to show you that I'm hurt, <laughs> in a sense, you know. And you can feel that in the infant, um, because again, what, as infants, we we kind of feed on that connection with our caregivers—the skin-to-skin touch, you know, the the nonverbal communication, you know, the. The smiles, the greetings that the happiness and and so the the uncertainty of knowing when a caregiver is going to respond or come back or return, or you know even having that connection of happiness and fulfillment when a caregiver comes in that can play a role in the anxious um, resistant and ambivalent for a um, an infant
0: yeah, that attachment style is really common when a parent has you know, substance abuse issues, maybe struggling financially, so they're working, you know, really long hours, Um, if there's any sort of like postpartum depression, stuff like that, just where the caregiver is really inconsistent. So sometimes they're available for the infant to really, you know, engage and mirror and play with, and then other times, you know, they're unable to be there. And sometimes that's by choice, other times it's because of reasons that are out of the caregiver's control. So I just want to tap on to that because that's so important in knowing that, like, it's just the inconsistency kind of creates this unsafe, uncertain feeling in the child.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely, I think that um, it's very common these days, even when you bring that up, Sandra, because so many um, parents are work, both parents are working now, so you see this um, this inconsistency in parenting style that you used to see back in the day, or when people kind of wrote these books and stuff, it always focused on the mom being a caregiver. And I think it's really important to recognize this today because we have a lot of um, distractions and even the cell phone, you know, and you know, ha- not having your mom there, but or having a caregiver there and their attention is not even on the, the, the child can have a very much Inconsistency and impression on that infant, to where and you see it a lot. I'm sure you have too, Sandra. Like you know, going out and seeing how a kid, uh, especially an infant who can't use their words and what they're doing to try to gain a parent's attention um, when they are on their phone. And and so I'm um, interested to see how the study would progress later in a few years on how cell phones and distractions of media can have a play a significant role on the anxious ambivalent style of children later on in their in their that's life
0: that's so true and just with the changes like cultural changes like the immediate family has really shifted like before there used to be a caregiver or the mother was usually home and able to kind of like be more present and now we've kind of transitioned to both parents tend to be working more often and so the, the child may have like nannies or grandparents or other caregivers in the mix. And we really don't know the long-term effects of that
1: mm-hmm. yet. Yeah, and, I, and it's funny you mentioned that too, because these, these infants, they may still have a caregiver, a consistent one, um, but the one that they kind of go home to at night may not be as reliable and consistent as the one during the day. So there's going to be even, even more confusion there when it comes to like having a reliable caregiver um, and that style that you're growing to and then having a whole different, completely different style um, at night or during the summer, you know, things like that. So um, it's interesting to see the different dynamics that may play a role in the um, child and the different um, attachment styles that's introduced to infants and you know it can be the caregiver it could be a babysitter it can be a teacher even and or a grandparent a lot of times you know so um really being familiar and hopefully you know as parents as new parents as future parents we want to always do what's best for our infants but we don't know we don't have a handbook a notebook for um these types of styles you know but really trying to um be educated on what we can do to stay consistent in our infants' lives, and um, also other caregivers in their in their lives as well. So um, I think it's I think it's a good tool and education to become familiar with. Um, so our next one would be avoidant attachment style, and this is when the infant is pretty in distress and pretty um, upset. Um, Oh, no, I'm sorry. Excuse me. They, they, they're they not in distress at all. <laughs> when the caregiver does leave the room and come back, there's not much of an emotion response. Um, they actually, they they played a video uh, of a child going back to continually playing with the, their toys that they're interacting with prior to the caregiver leaving. And so that doesn't really become interrupted. That avoidant is kind of like, A learned behavior you know it's that connection that bond something was not necessarily in place for that reaction of the infant to be there is actually more so the infant becoming used to being there for themselves kind of like an independent um finding ways to fulfill their needs on their own and so interacting with the caregiver or responding to them when they return in the room is more of a a void. Um, I've found my way of dealing, you know, kind of appeasing myself or self-soothing myself and that's interacting with what has gotten my attention at that time and it's not the caregiver. Does that make sense?
0: yeah so these kids i i just want to mention that these kids they don't really give a reaction when the parent steps out of the room or when the parent comes back but when they actually are hooked up to heart monitors um, and different little tools that measure their internal reactions they're having an extremely intense anxiety reaction they're just not expressing it in their affect or how they're like playing and stuff. So they are very upset. They're very fearful. They're very scared, but they're not showing it. And that comes from, you know, them just not having a parent that's ever been responsive to them showing fear or showing sadness or showing hunger. And, um, I just want to mention that because sometimes these kids can kind of seem like they don't have feelings or that they have a flat affect or that they don't know what's going on or something when really they do, they're just not expressing themselves and it's not showing up in their play or how they're reacting to the, to the strange situation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think it, I think that's very important because um, we may see it in our clients. We may see it in, um, you know, infants that were around our children and even again, in future in our relationships, so that's important to know. Thank you for that. I, that's really good. Um, I'm not sure if you wanted to talk a little bit about disorganized as an infant, or it plays more of a role as an adult, but as a child, disorganized attachment style is more um, emotional distress, you know. Um, they may experience things as a child that's pretty traumatic, and so um their response to a caregiver may be extremely inconsistent you know we 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 can never predict a person's um, re, an infant at that reaction to a caregiver if they've experienced a lot of trauma so it may be it's not a distinctive way of responding to a caregiver so that's why it's called disorganized mm-hmm. um it's very much um either happy sad um, it could be avoided, it could be fearful, um, but the trauma they experience is very um, traumatic and a child may be um, dealing with a lot of emotional distress during that time. Mm-hmm. And you, you see that a lot in abusive children, unfortunately, maybe foster care homes and um, foster care placement prior to that and um, other situations around the world, you know, you know, war, trauma, um, different um, things that are going on in the city, you know, in the town and their culture. It's just a lot of different, doesn't necessarily have to be abuse, but even traumatic events that's ha- occurring, um, I think it's really important to recognize. Mm-hmm.
0: So disorganized attachment kind of comes from not only just severe childhood trauma, But you see it like you've mentioned in foster kids where they're really unpredictable. Like one moment they're fine and they're playing and the next moment they're extremely anxious. The next moment they're angry. So there's a lack of emotional regulation and they don't really know how to react is basically what you're kind of trying to say. Is that right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Very unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And could it be impulsive as well. Mm -hmm. As we see um okay so i am going to go a little bit into the how we see these attachment styles in adults and um of course because we all have questions as adults how and why we act the way we do especially in relationships and i think it's really important um so as we mentioned before in the beginning the secure attachment now these are a very sense of a strong connected um, adult attachment and relationships and relationships with others. Um, you know, you kind of seek having close connections with people and you're pretty secure with having that connection with people and you are comfortable with having and feeling that safe kind of haven, you know, a safe environment with another person. Um, you're, you're easily engaged in your relationship. Um, you feel secure you know overall and you you have a you you kind of seek as an adult when you have that secure attachment style as an infant you kind of seek those relationship styles as an adult which i think is extremely interesting and you know i think as clinicians we have to become aware that um not everyone has this attachment and it's it's very it's very it can, it's common but it's, it can be uncommon too especially with clients coming to seek your assistance mm-hmm. so um, I think it's extremely um, important to recognize secure attachment and and being and having your client recognize that attachment style and helping them work towards those attachment style features you know um, because we, we can't necessarily alter our way of being in a relationship until we again know these type of education and really knowing our background. so connecting the dots with it um infant attachment style and to the relationship attachment style as an adult is really important so secure attachment um I also wanted to mention Sandra that I kind of wanted to tie in secure adult attachment with some of um some movies or some tv shows that are maybe commented to viewers I'm sorry um listeners and one of the ones I read online today was I don't know if you've seen Lion King (laughs) and I'm sure you have right yes they have so they actually (laughs) mentioned Nala um having a secure attachment style and um she was the um I believe she was the, the 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 girlfriend of Simba yeah
0: she was like love
1: interest yeah and when they became adults you see this or even as kids like you growing up she was very she was very confident and very you didn't see much distress in her um her relationship with Simba um which I think is important like we won't go too deep into it but when you want to have an example I mean I'm like I love examples I love like stories like connecting pieces together and Mm -hmm. I was thinking of movies that kind of held this type of attachment style. And so they um, recognized Nala of having a secure attachment when it came to Simba. So um, everyone loves Lion King. I think that's a very great movie to kind of have that in place in mind when coming, um, when talking about secure attachment.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I think that's such a great example because movies do such a good job of like illustrating that, especially movies that embody romantic relationships and stuff what came to mind for me was the movie he's just not that into you it's based on like a dating book and and that is like such an epitome of an anxious attachment style like just over analyzing not being safe in a relationship getting attached too quickly and um I think it's fun being a therapist and looking at things from that perspective and kind of how our culture um I don't know, we built, like, a whole dating industry kind of around this, especially, like, it's really prevalent with the anxious attachment style, and I see it a lot in clients that are young women out there dating. I see a lot of avoidant attachment in men, which is just so interesting.
1: Yeah, that's so funny you mentioned that. So the um, – two things. So the first one, the anxious type, like you said, was the more – kind of inconsistency seeking approval reassurance always worried you know afraid of rejection they kind of like they're extremely clingy, like you said um and i as you said you see this a lot in women like you said they're portrayed a lot in different movies and scenarios in this kind of way and one of the um one of the movies that was mentioned was bridget jones diary and um I thought that was a good one, but you know, the movie I thought of myself, Sandra, was actually The Notebook, and I'm not saying that she, I forgot her name, what's her name? The Notebook. Allie. Allie, yeah. She didn't have an anxious, ambivalent attachment style throughout the entire movie. It was more so a scene, a scene right before they broke up. Um, do you remember they were arguing, and she's like, get out, leave. I don't want you here leave and then right after they finish arguing she goes no wait come back (laughs) she's like I was just kidding you're gonna come back right and so we we have this um as women we have this um idealistic kind of stigma of being overly anxious and we carry that and it kind of bleeds into our relationship styles um because we also see it in media and so we feel like we have to act this way too and and again of course our attachment style as an infant comes from that too as we talked about, um, you kind of want the person to to feel punished as an infant. So this grows into as your style, as an adult, you kind of, you push, you want them, but you push them away. You want them and you push them away. And you, like you said, it's so common with the dating scene now and in our clients. And I think by bringing these different scenarios up and movies up and examples up can kind of validate kind of their emotional state of what they're going through and not so much minimize it, but recognize it and validate their feelings, you know? We may not know all the time how to express ourselves, but and doing and learning about this, we can build on the skills on appropriately expressing how and what we need in relationships from the other partner. You get what I'm saying? Yes.
0: Yes, definitely. And I think that, I mean, we were kind of talking about kids these days and how technology and is interfering with like the development of attachment. But I think like the millennial generation, there's been an interference and I don't really know where that came from. I think that millennials grew up right at the cusp of like both parents going to work now and like a lot of changes, technology being introduced, Um, you know, kind of a financial boom in the nineties where money and stuff was accessible. So parents were able to kind of buy their kids toys and offer them a toy rather than their individual attention
1: mm. and so
0: it's interesting to see how that comes up now for kind of like 20 something year olds in their dating lives because um, I do think there's some, a lot of attachment stuff at play in that and a lot of lack of regulation and emotional um, situation so uh, I work a lot with addiction and what I see with my clients is there's a low low capacity to regulate their own feelings and when we go back into family of origin stuff, there's been usually some sort of disrupted attachment that occurred in the early childhood. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think it's great that you kind of connect that with your clients. Um, I'm sure that you see a lot of progress once that's recognized in your in your practice.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that the groups um, I lead a few healthy relationship groups and. The groups that we do on attachment I think are so eye-opening for people because when we go over the different attachment styles and they really get kind of like clarity and an answer to maybe what might be going on, you just see them kind of be like, holy shit, like I had no idea, like this makes sense, like I felt really alone in my childhood because my mom wasn't really available and I keep choosing unavailable men. Mm-hmm. maybe that's linked and it's really cool to kind of be able to bridge that gap.
1: yeah that's excellent I think I think it's also like um that aha moment you know the light bulb goes up goes off and you see that so much in in therapy or we would love love to see it more but when we see it it's really rewarding and so as clinicians I think it's important to have this talk on how um important attachment styles are and making that connection both in the, your background and as an adult um I think it's really, really creative and unique.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so the next one is the avoidant. And as you mentioned, a lot of men in relationships are pretty re- avoidant. Um, so this is pretty much seen as you know, you, you're not really considerate in your relationship, pretty disregard your relationships and in, in very, and uh, your emotions. You're kind of dismissive and. You suppress, a a person would suppress their feelings a lot in their relationship and not really know how to express it or wanting to express it. So when they see their partner, you know, upset and wanting and kind of like begging them to talk, kind of avoid the relation, I mean, I'm sorry, the the conversation and it's sense, kind of walk away or even walk away from the relationship without even telling the person. Um, And so you see a lot of conflict with that. Mm -hmm. Um, You see a lot of imbalances in their lives as well. And it's funny you mentioned that um, you see a lot of this in men. And one of the TV shows they recognize as an avoidant attachment style was um, Sex in the City. And they they saw Samantha as pretty avoidant. I don't know if you're familiar with that show, but mm-hmm. she carries all the, the very, very much of an avoidant attachment style throughout that entire series um, of the show. Um, you know, kind of like she's done with them, kind of to throw them away. And, you know, she gets what she wants out of them and kind of avoids really deep connection emotional relationships you know and um again this kind of comes from an infant kind of having that fear and not knowing you know not responding the way a infant would when their caregiver comes back in the room they kind of just continue playing but like you said they had this emotional fear inside and so by responding to that is their way of avoiding it and not really addressing it properly
0: right so they have a need for attachment they have a need for closeness in relationships but it's also something that makes them extremely uncomfortable and yeah like I said you see it a lot in men that are kind of like I love you I want to be with you and then the second that they get the love or commitment back They tend to push that away. And I'm, this is not a gender specific attachment style. Attachment, anyone can have any type of attachment style. But what we do see as clinicians frequently coming up in relationships is the woman tends to be the more anxious partner. Men tend to be more avoidant. That doesn't mean that's true in all situations. But I I love that example of Samantha because it, kind of um demonstrates how she discounts the actual relationship and like just like focuses like on the logical aspect of like sex feels good it's fun mm-hmm. so i'm just going to do that i'm not going to get involved i'm not going to care about the people i'm sleeping with i'm just going to do what feels good
1: exactly and she's like you said she's gaining that sense of a relationship for that moment she's getting her need met for that moment and then as soon as that's done it's like okay i'm done like I don't need you anymore because she got that fulfillment of having that closeness, whether it may have been a short time, like another person and wanting to be in a relationship, but it was very short lived. And then, you know, she moves on and does her own life and that's the style she lives. Um, Eventually, of course, you know, Samantha finds someone that she really fell in love with and she had, she, she, um, a lot of her, you know, things that she had up kind of guarding that came down. Mm -hmm. Um, But I say that because I want to mention how our clients still have the ability to kind of address these attachment styles if they have concerns or, you know, want to change. There's still a way to kind of alter these behaviors and um, kind of modifying the way we respond in relationships. So it's never too late. And I think, like you said, therapy is great to make that connection with and make the changes when it comes to um, your attachment styles, your friendships, your relationships with your family and things like that. And um, it's all about kind of like rewiring the brain and then doing so. Again, you have to be educated. You have to know these things Not this isn't something that you grow up knowing all the time. Like we we had to go to school to learn this. So (laughs) this isn't something everyone should know. So I think it's important to recognize in therapy. And um, getting more into some of the therapy techniques, they do recognize the narrative therapy and kind of like um, a clinician doing a lot of insight orientation, you know, um, when it comes to really engaging your client and making the connection between their adult attachment and their background.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's so important to kind of reinforce in this conversation is that like, even if you had a really difficult childhood and your caregiver was not responsive, it doesn't mean it's hopeless for you. You need to have a corrective emotional experience, and that can be in therapy. That can also be in a healthy relationship with a significant other. But that's really how we change and rewire our brain to knowing that we don't have to kind of keep this pattern. Obviously, it's very painful if you have an anxious attachment style or a disorganized attachment style or an avoidant attachment style because you're not really able to have fulfilling, meaningful, long-term relationships because you're operating out of fear or avoidance or um, you know just complete chaos. And so I just want to like reinforce what you just said and like therapy is an amazing way to heal and kind of like look at these things, but it's also possible in a healthy relationship. I think research shows that if an anxious person is in a relationship with a securely attached person, their anxious attachment style starts changing over time because the Mm -hmm. person is able to make them feel heard and safe and comfortable in the relationship and they get to have a really transformative experience in that.
1: Yes, definitely. And I feel like also some studies have mentioned that the styles that we see growing up, even around us, we tend to have that frame of mind growing up. And so we tend to seek those different attachment styles that we saw around us. And we kind of view it as our world, as our self and others. of bringing a little bit of psychodynamic in there, but um, it's important to recognize these different styles that were around us and within ourselves to be able to even identify who and what, who we need and want in our lives to make a healthy kind of, you know, like you said, a healthy relationship, because um, if we can't recognize some of the the distressing relationships or um people in our lives we can't move forward but it 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 can't happen we can all move forward and make changes and you know uh, make positive changes not necessarily like um burn a bridge with someone but in a healthy way you know in a healthy way of making it you feel balanced and and satisfied with your decisions because um you are the most important you're going to take care of you and you're going to recognize what you need first and foremost, it's all about making that connection and having the therapy to help you and assist you in doing so. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the last one again was disorganized. We talked a little bit about that and that was, um, more so an abused child or, um, a child experiencing a lot of trauma and with this, um, a person may feel very, um, not fulfilled in relationships and they experience, they kind of relive trauma a lot. And so they, they detach your feelings a lot and it's hard for them to sustain a relationship because again, they're reliving a lot of that trauma and gain that trust and have a healthy balanced relationship. But again, and these it's extremely sen- um, important for the clinician to stay um, sensitive to the um, client's background and really approached a um, therapy in a very um, trauma-based approach. So, um, I don't have a movie for that. (laughs) Uh, I didn't think of one, probably Precious. Precious is a good one. Um, We don't really see much of her adultment style later, but she's one that was abused and very carefully her social worker, was very um, careful in their interventions when working with her. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I've never seen that movie, so I'm not familiar with it, but yeah, it's so interesting to realize, like, how much, you know, our media and our culture, like, embodies these things, but there's such a lack of education and awareness, and I just always think like if we really understood and taught this at a younger age like in schools like how different our world would be. Oh I know. Whenever I explain attachment or I like kind of connect the dots for clients around this stuff it's kind of like a light bulb goes off and they're like holy shit I understand myself so much better now. And, I know. I, I agree. Yeah. It's just so powerful you know.
1: Yeah. I actually work in a population in uh, corrections as well and that is a lot of trauma. It could be. It can be a lot of trauma in their background. It could be a lot of different attachment styles, and bringing that to surface. And again, this is so. It's so powerful. It's a powerful tool, you know, of, of knowledge and just educating them and making that connection. I think, like you said, I see progress and making that connection within yourself and knowing that it's not your fault. And a lot of decisions that you made, a lot of behaviors that you've done. You know, there's a reason why some certain things have happened, and um why you made some choices, or why certain people were easily brought into your life you know it's the style that you're you have, and knowing that can kind of build your self confidence too you know you see a lot of insecurity in people with some of these attachment styles as such as like the anxious and ambivalent one and disorganized one, and you know having that awareness can also build your self esteem and um kind of make ensure that you're gonna be okay you know this isn't something that's a a stamp that's gonna be labeled on you for the rest of your life working towards ways of moving forward and having healthy relationships and a healthy attachment style that works for you and your loved ones around you is the most important thing to do Mm -hmm.
0: yeah that's so beautiful Well, Jay, thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom and knowledge and having a really important discussion with me. Um, I want to give you a moment to kind of just share a little bit about your practice and if anyone is interested in working with you or has questions for you, how they can reach you. And I just want to mention that I will link that in the show notes below. But for those of you listening
1: on iTunes, this is how you can reach Jay. Perfect. Uh, again, my name is J. N. Clayton. I'm an LCSW out of Mission Valley, San Diego, California. And right now, I have cl- um, I'm doing private practice one to two days a week. So I'm taking clients right now, and I work for a lot of trauma-based clients, anxiety, depression, and some couples. If interested, you can best reach me by email. That is J. A. Y a c l a y t o n at gmail.com again that's j a y a c l a y t o n at gmail.com
0: awesome well jay thank you for joining me today on another episode of the guiding compass podcast to all my listeners thank you for tuning in to another episode i appreciate the support i just want to let you guys know that i am accepting new clients in my practice as well If you are interested in working with me, you can reach out on meridian-counseling.com or shoot me an email. You can find that on the website as well. And some exciting news, I am getting uh, credentialed on some panels, so I will be taking insurance now. Um, If you're interested in working with me, I specialize in working with young adults, families, couples, and addiction. So thank you for tuning in to another episode. I always say remember to follow your compass and be safe out there, you guys.